It's like I'm about to do the cha-cha, <laughs> doesn't it? But I will spare you my cha-cha skills. Okay, it's all good. So selfishly, I just got to do something real quick. I want to wish a huge happy anniversary to my beautiful wife, Kelly Cullen, this morning. <laughs> Isn't she great? Pray for that poor woman. Oh my goodness. 24 years ago, she came up, in the, uh, came up the aisle, stunner, absolute stunner, and she's still a stunner today, and I am the most blessed man, I'm not even joking you, beauty and the beast right there. <laughs> but if anyone else calls her a beast, I'll kill them. <laughs> so, welcome to week number two of this series, It's All Good. Uh, a huge welcome to everyone in Alma and St. John's and online and Mount Pleasant. And so this is really as a series where the Holy Spirit is just putting his finger on this sense of overcommitted, overstimulated, over indebted financially, uh, relationally disconnected, noise, frantic activity. It's like this treadmill and you're running and running, but you're not really getting anywhere. And there's such a kindness and such a loving gentleness to the Lord, because I think he's actually going to bless our lives and change us and change our families in a way where we get to experience some shalom, some peace and some joy in our lives. Because what we think is normal is insane. It's insane, but everybody thinks it's normal. And so really grateful. So welcome to week number two of the series, It's All Good, where sometimes we're gritting our teeth and everything's going wrong and we keep saying this phrase, it's all good, when it's actually not all good at all. First question for you, how did your homework go for you last week? If you weren't here last week, we had a to-do list with Jesus and a to-don't list with Jesus. And to-do was, did you take the opportunity to come away with God and to find a quiet place and to rest? And then to ask the question, what great things can I do for you, God? And uh, I had several people coming up to me like liking the idea of rest a whole lot. In fact, we had one particular community group. So we have groups who meet in people's homes all throughout central Michigan throughout the week. And they pray and they study the Bible and they get to know each other and they love each other. And uh, I got an image of a photograph of one of our community groups from last week. Check it out. <laughs> Look at that. That's the genuine photograph. Um, I don't know if that's good or not. I don't really know. But praise God for that. They took their homework really seriously and took a nap <laughs> together. Uh, and then there was your to-don't list. Were you able to say no? Was there anything that you were like, um, someone came up to you and said, hey, can, can you do this thing for me? And actually, I had two things this week where people came up to me, and I, I prayed about it, and then I was a horribly mean person. And I was like, I I'm actually not going to do that. And I felt great about it. They felt terrible about it. I, I felt fantastic. And then also, is there anything on the chopping block? Was there anything last week you were able to go, look, I've been, I've been committed to something, but I'm deliberately going to set that aside. I don't always have to do that until Jesus returns. In fact, there may be greater things for me to do rather than something that might be a little trivial uh, or unimportant in my life. So, um, Praise God, lay into that homework and let's see what the Lord does in our lives. There's a beautiful movie that came out years ago. I'd highly recommend it to anybody. It's called Up and it's an animated movie and it really is delightful. It's a great story, funny characters. It's really beautifully done. The soundtrack in it is absolutely gorgeous. And in there you find these two unlikely characters. One is this little boy scout who's trying to earn his badges, but there's not really much of a dad in his life. 
And then the other is this kind of a, he's a pretty grumpy old man, and uh, he's, he's, he's kind of lonely uh, because he's grieving the death of his wife. And they come together. And perhaps one of the best parts of the movie is they are on their unexpected adventure together, and they bump into this dog. And anyone who's seen this movie is already smiling because you already know what this dog is about. And they can't believe they found this dog. I mean, they are in the middle of nowhere. They're in this uncharted adventure and they find this dog. And alarmingly, the dog has this special, it's a, it's a movie, okay, so you gotta go with this, has a special collar. And when the dog barks, the, the, the collar speaks English. And they're like, this is a talking dog. They can't believe it's a talking dog. But the most adorable thing about the dog is he's so lovable. Like, he just loves everybody instantly. He's such a happy dog. And then he talks, which is pretty cool. But he's got the attention span of a goldfish. And what happens is, mid-conversation, they're both still, like, taking in that they're talking to a talking dog. And then, but the dog would hear something and would think it was a squirrel. And then his instincts would kick in. And he would immediately stop mid-sentence, point like a hunter dog, and go, squirrel. And so he's talking, and they're flabbergasted at a talking dog. But then he'd just stop and go, squirrel, squirrel, all the time. And they're like, what is happening in this uh, scenario here? Um, in the year 2000, check this out, the average attention span for a grown adult in the year 2000 was 12 seconds. Don't you just love that? Not a lot of wriggle room right there. But that was the year 2000. Right now, currently, we have the attention span of uh, attention span of, of eight seconds, which means already in my introduction, I've lost you 17 times. <laughs> and then just to let you know, science claims, I've no idea how science figure this stuff out, but science claims that a goldfish, which is always a thing we say, right? You've got the attention span of a goldfish. A goldfish actually has an attention span of nine seconds. That's right. We're losing to a goldfish. <laughs> this is not good at all. I read a story years ago about a, a sort of a, a big noise pastor, mega church, 20,000 people in his church, best-selling books, invitations to conferences. And very wisely, this gentleman called up his mentor, an older man who I've actually quoted many times over the years from preaching here because he's one of my favorite authors, a, a guy by the name of Dallas Willard. And so he calls up this older man, Dallas Willard, and he asks him, for some advice because he was having so much attention and big church and all that kind of stuff. And he asked the question this, this is what it was, uh, what do I need to do to become the me I want to be? Good question. He's on the phone. And there's this long silence. What do I need to do to become the me I need to be? All the stuff's going on. Long silence. He's waiting, waiting. And finally, this older man, Dallas Willard, says, you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. There it is. You could probably go home right now, but please don't. <laughs> you must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And ironically, <laughs> the younger pastor quickly scribbled that down. Okay, got it, yeah, okay, what next? Long silence. That's it for you. Nothing else. Hurry is the great spiritual enemy 
of our life today. And you and I, we must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from our lives. If I were to ask you the question, what's wrong with the world today? I doubt anyone would say to me, hurry. I don't know that anyone would say that. We're more likely to talk about politics or liberal theology, or we're more likely to blame Putin or Biden or Trump or Kim Jong-un or the Taliban or the redefinition of the family or sexuality or uh, porn addiction or inflation or the economy. All of these things immediately jump to mind. I bet you very, very few of us would answer hurried to that question. Satan doesn't show up in your life red-faced with a pitchfork screaming at you. Unfortunately and sadly, he's smarter than that because you'd run a million miles. You're far more likely to encounter the enemy as you spin a thousand plates and run in 10 different directions all at once while your phone is beeping notifications at you, while you're in the middle of a multi-day Netflix binge and you're on the dopamine addiction of a Saturday night where you're just on Instagram the entire night or watching football game after football game, all of that happening at the speed of life. Somehow, the enemy is able to accomplish something in your life in the middle of that rushed distraction than just some absurd screaming voice at you telling you to just hate everybody. We still get lost in the middle of all of that. Corey Ten Boom once said it like this, if the devil can't make you sin... He'll make you busy. Both sin and busy have the same effect. They cut off your connection to God. They cut off your connection to other people. They cut off your connection to your own soul. And it's universal. College students are busy. CEOs are busy. Young parents are busy. Empty nesters are busy. Single moms are busy. We're all busy. Now, I live in the real world just like you, and I bet you've got stuff to do, and I do as well. I know that responsibilities and bills and appointments are, they're real things. Obligations are real things. And there is certainly a healthy sense of occupation and work where you roll up your sleeves and you fill your life with things that actually matter. In fact, by that healthy definition, Jesus Christ was busy. The problem is this. The problem is when you just continue to put more things and more obligations onto your plate, so much so that the only way for you to accomplish what you have to do is that you just have to do it at a faster pace more and more and more. To which the Lord gives us some incredible wisdom in His Word. I want to read to you a verse from the book of, book of Proverbs, and I'm deliberately going to read it slowly. By the way, this sermon if for anyone else in this church, is for me. I talk fast, I drive fast, I move fast, I'm intense, I get going, I can't. I've always been that way. This is preaching at me today big time. And so it's hard for me to even read the scripture slowly, but I'm going to read it slowly. Listen to the loving and gentle tone of the Lord in Proverbs chapter 4, verse 20. My son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ears to my words. I'm going to read it one more time. My son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ears to my words. Now, as you hear that for the first time this morning, you might say to yourself, okay, well then what is it that you want to say? 
Okay, God, tell me. I'm listening. You've already missed it. What it is that he's saying to you is pay attention. That's it. Same passage from a paraphrase with some verses around it. Dear friends, listen well to my words. Tune your ears to my voice. Keep my message in plain view at all times. Concentrate. Learn it by heart. Those who discover these words live. They really live. Body and soul, they're bursting with health. Keep vigilant. Watch over your heart. That's where life starts. Pay attention. Your father today is saying, I want your attention. I know you're busy. I know you're in a hurry. I want you to slow down so that you can pay attention to me. I want to give you five statements right now, back to back to back. And each statement describes you, describes me. St. John's, Alma, Mount Pleasant, online. These are describing followers of Christ. This is not for anyone else. Followers of Jesus Christ. And each statement builds upon the next statement, one block at a time. One, you are assimilating a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload. You are. Which leads to, number two, God becoming more marginalized in your life. Which leads to, number three, a deteriorating relationship with Christ. Which leads to, number four, you becoming even more vulnerable to adopting secular assumptions about how to live your life. Which leads to, number five, more conformity to a culture of busyness, hurry, and overload. And round and round you go. I'll tell you why this speed of life, this hurry, is opposed to God's plan for your life. For one simple reason. Because I think the single highest value in the kingdom of God is love. That's why hurry is not good for you. Matthew chapter 22, Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love is the greatest priority and value in the kingdom of God. But here's the thing about love. It's painfully time-consuming. It just is. I'm sorry. I wish it weren't, but it is. You can't love people in a hurry. Friends know this. Parents know this. Spouses know this. Perhaps some of my worst moments in my life are when I'm in a hurry. I finish people's sentences all the time. This has cropped up in my 24 years of marriage. My wife has mentioned to me, Alan, you're finishing, and I'm like, my, your sentences. <laughs> it's not good. That joke did not go down well. <laughs> I really do. I finish people's sentences. I'm like, come on, spit it out. I think I know what you're going to say, so let me help you along with that. If I'm driving my car and I come up to a red light and there are three cars in that lane and two cars in that lane, I will change lanes. I will go behind the two cars. Like, I do it all the time. I'm worse than that. I will look at the kinds of cars, how old they are, how young they are, whether I think it's got a V6 or a V8. I'm worse than that. I look at the driver and I'll judge them. Do I think that person looks like they drive fast or slow? I'll do that. It's not good. When I'm driving and the GPS on the phone says, your arrival time will be 1.42, I'm like, really? Well, let's see about that, shall we? It's a problem in my life. 
The truth of the matter is there are embarrassing moments in my life where I've been in a hurry as a husband, as a father, as a pastor, because the fundamental value is loving people, and I failed to see there was somebody in front of me that I needed to love, and I missed the mark in all of that. How about you? I'm not alone in this. I know I'm not, right? Come on, church, give me an amen on that. I'm not alone in this. Have you missed the mark? What does that moment look like you for you when you're sitting in the car and maybe your husband or your wife has still got to come out of the house and get into the car and the kids don't have their shoes on? What does that look on your face look like when they finally arrive? Is it irritation and frustration and anger and upset and all of those biting comments that we do? Or do your family feel utterly loved by you in that moment? John Cromer says this, hurry and love are oil and water. They simply do not mix. The world will tell you that slow is bad. Slow is dumb. That movie was slow. The service at that restaurant was slow. The world will tell you that fast is good. Fast Wi-Fi, fast cars, fast food. We love fast, but in God's kingdom, the values are the complete opposite. Hurry, it turns out, is of the devil, and slow is of Jesus. How do we know this? Because every single time we see Jesus, in any of all the four Gospels, he is always, and I want you to hear this phrase if you would today, he is always present in the moment. I can't find a single conversation or situation with Jesus where he was looking at his phone going, yeah, uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah. It's just not like that. Present in the moment, always. In Luke chapter, chapter uh, 8, a man by the name of Jarius comes up to Jesus and he says, my daughter's dying. I need you to come right now. This is panic. She's going to die. And so Jesus says, yes. And he starts this walk to this man's house to go and help this girl. But the crowds around Jesus are so huge, they're crushing Jesus all around. It so happens that in that moment, there's this desperate, desperate woman in the crowd that has nothing to do with Jarius or his daughter who is dying. And she is desperately sick. And she says, if I can just touch Jesus, I think that'll be enough. I think he'll heal me. And she reaches out in the middle of a crowd crushing all around him. She just touches him. She's instantly healed. And Jesus is aware of the fact that this power has come out from him. And he stops everybody and he says, who touched me? And everyone's like, what are you talking about? Everybody's touching you. And he's like, no, somebody touched me. And I'm telling you right now, in that patch of scripture, Jarius, this dad, is going, who cares who touched you? My daughter's gonna die Jesus, you need to hurry up. I need you to leave this place. I need you to go to my house. This is desperate. This is life and death. And eventually he gets to her house. And it's too late. She's dead. He missed it. And they're crying and wailing and mourning. And Jesus says, I'm going to wake her up. And he does. In John chapter 11, these women, very, very similar, they come up to Jesus in pure panic. It's Lazarus. This is Jesus' personal friend. It says he loved Lazarus. He's sick. We need you to leave right 
now. You've got to come and help him. He's, it's the same story. He's going to die. It's just different people. We need you to leave right now. And Jesus says, the thing. I just don't even understand why he says this. I'd be like, let's go. Let's get in the car. Let's go to the place. And Jesus comes out with this cryptic statement about time in the middle of that. Frantic, get out of here right now. This is what he says. Are there not 12 hours of daylight? Who wants to hear that? That doesn't help me at all. Are there not 12 hours of daylight? And then he stays 48 hours longer. Two days. And then finally he says, let's go to Lazarus. And he walks to Judea and he finds the situation and he's too late. He wasn't fast enough. He should have hurried. He should have been quicker, but he didn't. And they're looking at him and they blame him. If only you had come when we told you to come. If only you'd been faster. Why didn't you hurry up? And he says, I'm going in to visit. And he's not. She, this is not like Jairus' daughter where she had just died. He's been dead a few days. He says, you can't even go in there. His body has begun to decompose. It will smell. And he says, I'm going in there. And I'm going to wake him up. And he does. John Comer, again, he says, to walk with Jesus is to walk with a slow, unhurried pace. Hurry is the death of prayer. It only impedes and spoils our work. It never advances it. Church, what I'm addressing here today in your life is pathological busyness because it has become our default setting. It's chronic. We think it's normal. We are distracting ourselves into spiritual oblivion. And it's not that we dislike God or we don't believe in God. It's not like we have a problem with God or we've got anything against God. Actually, we love God. We believe in God. We want a depth of relationship with him. We are just habitually too preoccupied. We are more busy people than we are bad people. We are more distracted people than we are prodigal sons and daughters deliberately running away from God, shaking our fist at the heavens. We are more interested in the movie theater or the sports stadium or the shopping mall than we are the church. Pathological busyness, distraction, and relentlessness are major roadblocks within our spiritual lives. From all the movies that I've watched on the military, the commanding general come in and he says one word, tension. And what happens? Every young recruit immediately stands at alert, head out, chest out, shoulders back, eyes forward, and they are waiting. What is it that you would say to me? And I will be obedient to you. My son, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ears to my words. And how many of us are living lives where God says, attention, and we are just lost in hurry and busyness, and we can't even hear from him because the noise. Is this beginning to reach you? Even in this moment, are you beginning to pay attention to your creator? As we're in God's word right now. A hurried life is a very difficult life to hear from God. We talked about this a little bit last week. God's word comes into your life, and it actually is fruitless because you're spiritually deaf. 
It's, a hurried life is very difficult to sit with God, to listen to God, to worship God. A hurried person probably doesn't even enjoy God. There's this brick wall between you and God. Why? For the same reason it would affect your relationship with anybody. 24 years of marriage to my wife, if I just walked past her constantly in a rush with noise, with headphones, with just too much going on, I don't know if we would have made it to 24. God simply doesn't move at that pace. And you're in a hurry, and he's not. I felt horribly convicted by this message. Horribly convicted. I found it very inconvenient. And as I read and I studied and I put this message together, this is the phrase that just kept standing out to me, present in the moment. In fact, I would encourage you, perhaps this is obedience for you this week. Would you be present in the moment? So I started praying about this personally. God, you have this ultimate kingdom value of love, but I have a hundred things to do today. But here's what he said to me. If you get those hundred things done today, and you don't have love, those hundred things that you accomplished are now meaningless. They are actually devoid of value in the kingdom of God. Several months ago, <laughs> how bad is this? I'm driving my car, and I happen to be in downtown Mount Pleasant, where there's a roundabout. I love roundabouts. Ireland's full of roundabouts. Roundabouts, I got it. Americans. Not so much. <laughs> I, that's, that may be a little judgmental. So there I am, judging people's V8s or V6s, and who's driving the car, and I come up to the roundabout. Now, I know you know this, but maybe you don't. When you're on the roundabout, it's your roundabout. When you're off the roundabout, you gotta wait. And so there was this car that came on nice and slowly, and I'm like, okay, you can do it. You can do it, go on, go on. And they saw me, and they slowed down, and they slowed down, and they stopped on the roundabout. And I'm like, because I'm so holy and I'm a pastor, come on. I'm doing this. I, t I talk to them like they can hear me. I'm like, you can drive your car. You can do it. The problem is, Mount Pleasant isn't the biggest town in Michigan. And it is the sweetest lady from our church. <laughs> and she sees me, and I see her, and she sees me doing the, uh, <laughs> and I'm like, oh, dear God, no, just getting down lower in the car. And so, and then the following Sunday, just to show you how lovely this lady is, I was like, I'm just dying. And she, she came up to me, Pastor Allen, I'm so sorry that I did this thing. And I'm like, please stop. I'm a jerk. That's, that's all there is to this. I'm an outright jerk. And so I've been trying to make this conscious decision in my life. I have to ruthlessly eliminate hurry from my life. Because I tell you what I wasn't doing to that person, a delightful lady in our church. I, wa I wasn't being very loving towards her. I was being a jerk. I have to ruthlessly eliminate. I've been praying about this. And I've been failing at this and maybe succeeding a little bit at this making this conscious effort to be present in the moment with Jesus. I keep trying to say to myself, if Jesus were in my shoes right now, how would Jesus function at this pace? How would Jesus function today 
with my little to-do list that I think is so important, how would Jesus manage those things? And I imagine Jesus at the pace that he functioned in the Gospels. And then I look at myself and I'm like, I, I'm moving at the wrong speed. And I'm telling you, this has been such a, a shift for me. It's been quite radical. I drove home the other day from the church to my house. And normally I'm like trying to help people along. And I was like, don't do it. And honestly, I was like, enjoy the drive. And I put some music on. And I just relaxed. I've become keenly aware that sometimes one of my boys or my daughter, they're talking to me and I have a phone right there. And I'm looking at them and I'm looking at the phone and I'm looking at them and I'm looking at the phone. Answering him without looking at him. Church, am I alone on that one? Are you beginning to see what God is getting at? Listen to it again. My son, Pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. And it's not that God really has this thing to say to you. What he's saying to you is, pay attention to me. Hurry can be motivated by so many things. Self-importance, look at me, accomplishments, keeping up with other people. Hurry might help you to make more money because you get more stuff done. Sometimes we feel we're only as good as our next sales commission or the next quarterly numbers or our new toys that we're able to buy because we were so hurried that we got stuff done. We're only as good as our next Instagram post. We're only as good as our next sermon. We think these things of ourselves. Sometimes it's less dramatic. Sometimes we're overly busy because honestly, we're just stuck in a job and it's too much. Like the job is unhealthy. And it's crushing you. And you have a choice to make. I'm not saying it's easy to get a new job, but you don't have to work there for the rest of your life if it's crushing you all of the time. We're just consumed because I have to work, because I have to pay bills, and this is what it takes for me to do that. And then what we do is we feel like victims for the responsibilities that we've taken on. Some of you, you have moved into what is simply known as folly because you said, I have to have that $80,000 truck, and I have to have that second car, and I have to have that jet ski, and I have to have that cabin, and now my life has to work at this ridiculous pace because I had to have those things, and now I have to pay for them. And what I would say to you is, you don't have to have those things. It's, I don't even know that it's worth it. Sometimes we're in a hurry because we are in perpetual need of escapism. And what we do is we waste our time so often with stimulation and entertainment that we've run out of time and now we're running frantically. However you slice it or dice it, the results are the same. We fail to live the life that God has called us to. There's an author by the name of William Irvine, and he has a unique phrase for this. He calls it misliving. Is it possible that you are misliving? There's a danger that you will mislive. Despite all of your activity, despite all of your pleasant diversions that you enjoy while you are alive, that you will end up at the end of your life. And you will say, I don't know that I lived a good life. I think I missed something. There is, in other words, this danger that one day you will be lying on your deathbed and you will look back that you wasted your one and only chance at living this life and in spend, instead of spending it on something in life that was genuinely valuable, you squandered it because you allowed yourself to be distracted by the various baubles of this world. Plastic, shiny little things. 
Haunting words from Jesus in Mark chapter 8. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet forfeit your soul? Church, what does obedience look like for you this week? Would you repeat this after me? Every campus, online, present in the moment. All together, ready? Present in the moment. One more time, a little louder. Present in the moment. This week, you're going to begin to recover your soul. This week, you're going to catch yourself going 90 miles an hour. This week, you're going to find yourself going, why am I spinning so many plates? The Holy Spirit's going to speak to you. So much of this is self-inflicted, isn't it? It really is. And I want you to find, and I'm not even joking you, I want you to find a hundred times this week, multiple times a day, dozens of times a day, where you go, present in the moment. I want you to say it. See how fast I said that? Slow it down. I want you to say, present in the moment. (laughs) And you will recognize the pace that you're moving at. And then, instead of increased momentum and increased velocity, you're going to invite Christ into that moment. I'm going to enjoy this drive. I'm going to sit and eat my lunch. I'm going to catch my breath. Inviting Christ into those moments. And when you do, He will lead you beside still waters. And you'll begin to experience the restoration of your soul. And you'll start to walk with Jesus in the most common places. And he'll lead you into green pastures. And you will begin to experience God. Could we pray together? Church, right now, could I ask you right now to give your complete and undivided attention to Jesus Christ? It's like waiting on him What else would you say to me? How would you command me? How can I be obedient? I'm listening for your voice more than any other voice right now. Would you dispel the temptation to just immediately in your mind go to what's next? What am I doing this afternoon? What's happening this week? Church, that'll come. That will come knocking on your door. You can be assured of that. But in this moment, would you communicate to God? Dear God, You have my attention. God, as an act of love, I'm giving you my attention. And I will give it to you an hour from now. I will give it to you later on this evening. I will give it to you tomorrow morning. I will give it to you in the middle of dropping the kids off, in the middle of work. God, my prayer is not even so much that you would just help me give you my attention. I don't know that that's your job. God, I'm giving you my attention. In fact, I may be the only one who can. I will make the effort to catch as many moments as I can, to be present in the moment, a conscious awareness and surrender to your holy presence. I pray this in the name of Jesus. And all of God's people said, Church, take your time driving out of here talk to some people, relax, smile, have a chat, be filled with peace, and have an unhurried week of blessing. I'll see you next week. God bless.